You're listening to a podcast from the South China Morning Post. Hello, Happy New Year, and welcome to the first U.S.-China trade war update of 2021 from a very chilly Hong Kong. The mercury here has just dipped below 7 degrees Celsius. Can you believe it? It's January 8th, and already what a long year it's been. The world has been glued to the shocking scenes coming out of Washington, D.C. this week. On this side of the world, Chinese state media and foreign ministry spokespeople have been gleefully reporting and commenting on the chaos in Washington, pointing out that this is indeed the risk you run when you embrace democracy. Also this week, the Hong Kong police arrested dozens of opposition politicians in sweeping dawn raids across the city, including one American lawyer. That was the first foreigner to be arrested under Hong Kong's national security law. The resonance of this week is clear. The Chinese government has seized these images to claim that the US no longer has the right to lecture it on governance. While in Hong Kong, the arrests have sent a ripple of fear through society. Come back 2020, all is forgiven. Maybe not quite. But joining me this week to discuss all of these events are our political economy editors, John Carter and Joe Shin. And in the second half of the show, the very great Chad Bray, our senior business reporter at The Post, joins me on the line to discuss the hokey-cokey of the US-China financial war, which has been hotting up this week with a few Chinese telecoms giants getting booted off the New York Stock Exchange. Stay tuned to hear more on that very soon. It's the first podcast of the year, so naturally, joined by our political economy editors, John Carter and Joe Shin. Happy New Year to you both, guys. If you thought this year was going to be quieter than the last one, then I think the first week has told us otherwise. Uh, We've had a real maelstrom of news already. It's the 8th of January, recording on the Friday morning. And I think most of all, people are still uh, coming to terms with the quite shocking graphic scenes that we saw coming out of Washington DC on Thursday morning our time uh, was Wednesday night um, Wednesday afternoon US time John you were watching this very closely we were we were chatting all the way through um, as an American in greater China here in Hong Kong so I'm sure this was of, of, of concern to you just first and foremost as, a, as an American absolutely no this is not what we like to think of as our country um, it, shocking is the word I would use, um, and a lot of blame to go around, and we can go into that if you like, but um, I think it's important to note that despite uh, the uh, scenes of destruction, the Congress did its job and confirmed that Joe Biden had won the presidency, and he will be inaugurated January 20th, and now this morning, or last night, U.S. time, uh, Donald Trump is conceding and saying he will uh, make sure there's a smooth transition to the Biden presidency, which is good news. Uh, but the process is um, ugly, to say the least. Ugly, yes. Um, I thought it was quite uh, neat that he said he would ensure there was a peaceful transition after his supporters had already storm- stormed the, the Capitol building. So it's smooth apart from that. Joe Shin, uh, I'm sure you were also watching uh, this with uh, the same sort of curiosity as the rest of us. It was uh, everybody was watching it, really. But tell us a little bit about how this has been um, built in in China, both in the media. We know that some of the foreign ministry spokespeople have been asked questions about this. What has been the official response and also the state media response to this? Okay, 
Uh, I think for China, it's a godsend opportunity to present to its people that how, you know, American style democracy has failed. It's, it's chaotic. It's been uh, it's been horrible. And this is a message China is trying, always trying to uh, get through to its people. But sometimes it's struggling to do so because uh, American, you know, always in China described the uh, the country of the beacon. And it's a, it's a, it's a role of uh, uh, governance and uh, liberal democracy, human rights, etc. But now, you know, the Chinese government has this uh, a good opportunity to present its people with uh, with these video clips on the Capitol Hill building, and to see, you know, you look at this. That is that what you really want? Uh, you know, Si Walian, the former Hong Kong chief executive, is kind of publicly saying, you know, look at this uh, um, happening in Washington. You know, is this really what you want? And secondly, I think this uh, offers China an opportunity to. Uh, attack, you know, the, the 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 United States for being double standards on um, issues of Hong Kong. And I think it's got some uh, point, good point uh, to compare to comparing the two. Uh, when in July 2019, uh, when protesters attacked the Legco in Hong Kong, there are some similarities, and China is maximum uh, maximize uh, these uh, similarities to yeah. to show that you know this is a, this is a double standards here. Uh, so it's quite a, it's a, it's it's a, it's a quite heavy coverage in China. Of course, uh, there's very little coverage of the um, uh, afterwards. You know, the restored order. These kind of are not highlighted, and uh, the the video clips of the chaos. Yes, it's uh, it's widespread on Chinese social media and official media. Yeah, one important difference, Joshin, I would point out between the storming of the Legco and the storming of the Capitol building is, I guess, that the Hong Kong demonstrators were trying to. Uh, achieve democracy, whereas the uh, American demonstrators are trying to overturn democracy. So the slight, slight difference there, which I thought, thought was, was quite... Yes, that's exactly the, the point that China is trying to make. You know, you cannot take a, a democracy for granted, uh, at least as a surface, you know. Uh, in, in the case of Legco, there's nobody dead, and uh, in the US case, there are four deaths. So for China, there is something to... Um, to argue back, and uh, um, whether it's right or wrong, the Chinese government is taking this as good evidence and uh, a good a point for argument. And I think um, for most of the Chinese audience, I think it's well well recepted. Yeah, it's gift wrapped for for uh, any sort of a would be adversary of the United States. These images are are an open goal, really. The other element I was wondering about is the potential political fallout from this. Um, I mean, we've only got 12 days until the inauguration of Joe Biden. 12 days is a long time in Trump land. Um, there could be a lot of um, policy and uh, executive orders and, and so on that he is uh, lining up and his team have been lining up. But I wonder how much of this he's going to be able to get done now. You had We've already seen Matt Pottinger resign. He was, he was Deputy National Security Advisor. That's the one. <laughs> Yep. Who, who was um, integral, really, in putting together a lot of the the China policy? He was a fluent Chinese speaker. Spent many years working as a journalist in in Beijing. Um, Pottinger is is just one element of this, but Trump's legitimacy, um, in even in many of his supporters and many of his uh, part, political allies, has been has been dam- damaged now, John. And I wonder how much is this going to hamper any policy plans that he had before he leaves office it may have an impact um but you know trump has been able in the past to ignore criticism of his work and and carry on with his agenda uh but this is a whole nother level of uh, of criticism of uh, outright opposition from members of his own party 
it remains to be seen. Now, a lot of what he's been doing vis-a-vis China has been done by executive order, and he could continue to do that. And he may have issues or uh, initiatives in the pipeline that he was trying to move forward. But with these uh, high-level resignations, he may think twice. Um, on the other hand, Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State, is still there. He is one of the chief instigators of these anti-China policies. Uh, but again, we've seen a more contrite Trump today uh, in his concession video that ran on uh, YouTube. We we don't know. Uh, it's early days, but the uh, calls in Congress, I mean, both Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, the uh, House Democratic and Senate Democratic leaders, have called for either Trump to be removed uh, under the 25th Amendment for incompetency or that there be an impeachment proceeding. Now, both of those are unlikely given there's only 12 days left, but it's it signifies the pressure on Trump um, and he may just hole up in his bunker and, and just wait it out and that there will be no more policy initiatives. We'll have to see. Yeah. It, it, is, is this going to trim his wings or is it not? We don't know yet. We'll see. We shall see. Um, Joshin, the there have been a few grenades thrown in the past week, um, first week of the year. Um, some of them around uh, the listing of um, Chinese telecoms companies in on the New York Stock Exchange, which we're going to hear more about from our senior business reporter, Chad Bray, in the second part of the podcast. Um, but there were some other um, other initiatives, Joshin, including the um, announcement that uh, apps such as Alipay and WeChat Pay and so on were going to be banned. We've seen this sort of thing come out of the Trump administration before. How much legs does it have and how significant is it? Uh, well, I think it's uh, uh, it's more of a signal. First of all, we don't know how these executive orders uh, will be implemented or whether they will be implemented at all. Because as you said, you know, Trump has previous executive orders trying to ban some Chinese apps, including TikTok. But after uh, um, several legal cases uh, and after several pushbacks, you know, the, um, the um, TikTok is still alive in the United States, as far as I know, uh, despite that uh, the deadlines have long overdue. So this might be the similar case happening to uh, WeChat Pay or uh, Alipay. Uh, because for the executive order, um, the White House is asking several departments to work out how to ban these apps. But there will be lots of, uh, say, legal and administrative issues. Uh, for instance, how do you de- deprive a person's money you know, put into Alipay or uh, which had to pay. For instance, John Carter, you have, you as an American citizen, you have money in Alipay and uh, which had to pay. Uh, shall you be charged for, for you know, violating the uh, executive order? Or can the US, gov- US government actually, you know, confiscate your money to ask you to give up your money in these uh, two accounts? So there are lots of questions. Uh, for, uh, for the immediate financial impact, that will be very limited because uh, uh, WeChat Pay and Alipay don't have lots of penetrations in the in the U.S. market. However, this uh, uh, this signals, uh, you know, uh, the broader technology rivalry, the technology decoupling or financial decoupling between the United States and China may continue uh, in the coming years, even after Trump. And this is really worrying, because um, the big picture is these Chinese companies, whether it's WeChat, uh, you know, whether it's Alibaba or Tencent, uh, these companies have been enjoying. A, the big market in China, and B, the, you know, the money, the capital support from the Wall Street. So they are uh, you know, having taken advantage from, from both sides. But now the whole situation is changing. 
So they are likely to be the uh, to to bear the brunt of this uh, uh, of this divorce between China and the United States, and they will be squeezed on both sides. Uh, mm-hmm. Our owner Alibaba has been obviously uh, <laughs> a case, right? Uh, Chinese government is not very friendly to to it these days, and uh, at the same time, the United States is also increasing its uh, scrutiny of uh, of its services. So uh, it will be a challenge for lots of these big big tech, Chinese big tech companies, which had been enjoying a quite good time of a good relationship between China and the United States. Yeah. And it's a really interesting point, Josian, about the, uh, in China, there's a sort of um, tightening of the, of the noose almost on a lot of these big companies. And John, we see that economically as well. Um, it seems as though China has, uh, uh, is going to embark on some uh, reining in of its um, of debt, of, of financial services, and so on. So, have we seen, I guess, in the first week of um, of, of of the Chinese economy this year, um, any indications as to what the rest of the year might hold? Well, first of all, um, as part of the new dual circulation economic strategy, there's a greater emphasis on security across the board, and we're not talking just talking national security. We're talking food security. We're talking financial security. And so uh, this week, the PBOC, the People's Bank of China, the uh, nation's central bank, has said that reducing financial risk will be its top priority this year. This comes, for instance, after the country has completely shut down peer-to-peer lending platforms. Uh, There used to be 10,000 of them, and now there is zero. Um, And these were seen as... um, wildly risky and millions of Chinese, literally millions of Chinese have lost much, if not all of their life savings having invested into these platforms. And so China will continue to press down on uh, risky financial situations and try to reduce its high level of debt. And this is inevitably going to have an impact on the growth trajectory. Now, because of their strong rebound from the coronavirus, they have a very strong trajectory already. And so they can afford to have that slow a bit and still do quite well. But we'll see. We have a number of headwinds. You have the new coronavirus outbreak in Hebei province around Beijing. We have uh, the financial issues, the the high debt. We have um, China is clamping down on the property market to keep housing prices under control. And the housing market has been one of the big growth drivers in previous year. So all of these things combined, what do they mean for growth this year? The forecasts still suggest growth this year will be eight or 9% in China. That is based on a very low base. And so that is uh, the, the underlying growth rate is somewhere um, between five and six percent, perhaps, but we don't know. And as the year goes on, we'll see how things progress. Yeah, yeah, we certainly will. Uh, John Carter, Joe Shin, that has been most interesting as always, and we will chat to you next week. Thank you. Thank you. I am joined by Chad Bray, who is senior business reporter at the SCMP and also happens to be the nattiest dresser in the entire newsroom. Chad, happy new year to you. A busy start to 2021 for you guys, which began with the New York Stock Exchange announcing that three Chinese telecoms giants, China Telecom, China Mobile and China Unicom, were to be delisted from the exchange. That was on New Year's Day. 
get things off with a bang there. Chad, first of all, please explain why this happened in the first place. And then if you could take the thread of the story and tell us what happened next. Sure. It, it, it's been a, a very uh, interesting week, to say the least, for these companies and for investors in these companies. So back in November, the Trump administration uh, put out an executive order and said that companies with ties to the Chinese military, so that ranges from SMIC, one of the biggest semiconductor uh, manufacturers in the world, to um, China Mobile, would uh, no longer be able to be held by U.S. investors starting on January the 11th. And so for American citizens like myself, we can't invest in these stocks. We can't uh, buy new ones after January 11th. And through uh, November of this year, uh, we uh, have to divest of our holdings. So after November the 11th this year, you'll no longer be able to have them. Basically, the Trump administration says this group of stocks is about 35 companies um, are controlled by the Chinese military or owned by the Chinese military. And so what's happened this week, and it's been quite interesting, is uh, index providers, as well as the New York Stock Exchange, have you know been unclear in terms of what they can and can't do. So starting on New Year's Day, the New York Stock Exchange said, we're going to delist China Unicom, China Telecom, and China Mobile. Well, a couple of days later, they said, well, actually, we're not sure about that, so we're going to hold off on delisting them. And then they got further guidance after many conversations, apparently, with the Treasury Department and other parts of the administration that led to them saying, we're now going to delist them. So starting on Monday, January the 11th, these three companies will no longer be traded in the United States. They are all traded in Hong Kong, but that presents issues for Americans who hold their shares. Yeah, so, I mean, that's a bit of a hokey-cokey. Um, difficult one to, to report as well. I mean, you're sort of reeling from one release to the next. Um, are you, are we? Is this guaranteed to hold now? Because it's obviously been a bit flimsy. Um, how, how confident are you that, the, that these companies are going to be delisted? Well, at, at this point, it, it, it looks like it, it's, it's pretty clear. So it took the Treasury Department coming back and putting out guidance on the six, basically saying... Um, that these companies, their subsidiaries, because they originally weren't part of a listing by the Office of Foreign Assets Control, they are now on that listing, that these particular equities can't be held by Americans. That, that was one of the questions. And you know, the, the companies themselves had gone back to the NYSE and said, hey, you know, um, what can we do here? What, what's going on? They have an opportunity to appeal it, but I, really at this point, I, I think it's pretty much done giving the timing. Yeah. So these these are three massive um, Chinese entities being delisted from the New York Stock Exchange. Is that is that is that a body blow or is that something that more much more severe? How, how much of an impact will it have a on them and, and b on on China, China's um, let's say China's sort of global ambitions? You know, have these firms around the world fundraising and so on. Well, you know, I, I think for the companies, it was not, you know, the, the New York listing was something nice to have. It was very prominent and to have access to U.S. capital markets. In terms of the overall, you know, share capital of the company, it wasn't very much. Uh, China Mobile had the largest um, of the bunch, and it was about 2% of their total shares outstanding. It, it was not a large am amount of their investing. Uh, you know, the, 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 the big issue that comes down to this is, you know, 
everyone wants to be listed in New York. It, it's a great way to raise money, not just with stocks, but if you want to have bonds, if you want to uh, do different things, it also just is, is prominent. I, I mean, you know, being listed in Hong Kong is fine. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nice a backdrop for them. Frankly, it's closer to their home investors. So people in the mainland can invest through Stock Connect and own their shares. Other investors globally can own their shares unless they're Americans or pension funds, American pension funds, American college endowments. But really, it doesn't hurt them that much, except it, it, it's, a, it, it's somewhat embarrassing to have it happen. Yeah, not, it's, not, it's not a good look. <laughs> the optics aren't great. Um, so they, they are listed in Hong Kong. How how safe is is Hong Kong? As a, I, I want to ask you about the, the sort of volatility here in Hong Kong. We had the Ant Financial stuff late last year. Um, in <laughs> you had a busy week. I remember it was around the time of the U.S. election. Um, but you know there was a lot of talk around there about how it's going to be a bumper year for Hong Kong. A lot of Chinese companies are going to be either relisting in Hong Kong or or you know. How is that going to play out, given the geopolitical tensions here, the situation that happened with Ant Financial, where they were basically told to can it? Um, what's the latest there, Chad? Well, you know, I, I think Chinese companies in general are looking, if they can, to still list in the U.S. I mean, that hasn't ended. But you have a number of companies that were part of these sort of original red chips. You know, China Mobile was one of the first to list in 1997 um, and others who've listed since then who are looking for opportunities if they only have a listing in the U.S. to have a listing elsewhere. So we have other companies that are going to come to Hong Kong in, in the next year or come back to the mainland in the next year. A number of tech companies you know, are already talking about doing this and have. We've seen Alibaba. We've seen JD.com uh, come to Hong Kong. And, and so I think there's still, you know, really a, a move to have an out if you need it, if the U.S. takes action against you. Yeah. You know, the, the big question in this, and, and, you know, this is, is what's going to happen with the Biden administration? Will there be a easing of some of the just flurry of things we've seen in the final days of the Trump administration and maybe a, a, a more conscious view in terms of how we proceed I, I think that's the big question for these companies because everyone thinks that it's going to be not such a thing where every morning in Asia we wake up and there's just something that's happened that sort of throws everything into a stir and isn't very well explained. You know, I, yeah. I think it's, it's, you know, the idea is going to be a much more clear consensus base, you know, pattern. That doesn't mean that China companies are off the hook. You know, the, the, the issue is that in the U.S., both Republicans and Democrats distrust Beijing. They have questions about where things are headed, you know, whether it be Hong Kong, whether it be, you know, what's going on, um, you know, with, with, with uh, you know, Uyghurs and human rights. So that there are a number of things the U.S. has issues with. Mm -hmm. And particularly with, you know, the, the fusion of the Chinese industry and, um, and the military. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think it sounds as though you, like me, are hoping for um, obviously a busy year with news, but maybe a bit less chaotic. Yeah, well, you know, I, I would like to be able to have one cup of coffee before I spit part of it out in the morning. <laughs> 
that's a I think that's a, a manageable and reasonable um, New Year's resolution, Chad, but um, a good note to finish up on as well. So thanks very much for joining us. We'll get you back on later in the year and uh, have a good day. Thanks, you too. On the SEMP's Political Economy Desk, you can follow us on Twitter at SEMP Economy. I am at F Birmingham. You can keep up to date with whatever grenades Donald Trump throws China's way in the last two weeks of his presidency at scmp.com. We might be back next week. I might sneak in a quick camping break, so it may be the week after. But until we next speak, keep safe, wash your hands, wear your mask and keep your distance. All the best. For more podcasts from the South China Morning Post, head to scmp.com where you can hear more about technology, trade, culture, and society.